Hey, let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Matthew, we've been cruising along in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning's uh, message really begins uh, chapter 13, and it's, uh, it's another discourse, and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see these discourses, and, and we just got through one not too long ago, and that was the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, and this one here is uh, the parables, and there's a, a series of seven parables, and we're going to be looking at those. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of the most challenging um, passages, one of the most challenging passages in the Bible, because when we think of a parable, and, and there, there's some things that we need to know about a parable. A parable is, you know, many people think of a parable as like a story or something like that. And it's not, ju- it's not a story. Sometimes Jesus would use the parables, and he would use things that were known to the people, explaining to them something perhaps that was unknown. And and in the case that we're looking at in these seven parables, that's definitely the truth. But a parable also was meant to illustrate something, to bring something to light that was not clear. And Jesus would often use uh, all of the things around him when he taught the people, wherever he was at, he would use those things like the agriculture or because they were a very agrarian society or he would use the, you know, the sea of, or it's a lake actually, he would use that and, and the fishing and all of these things as a means to explain to people very simply certain things. And a parable, the, the, the name literally means in the Greek, it, it is, it's called parabalo. And parabalo means to cast alongside. In other words, to, to compare something uh, that was known to something that is unknown. To compare something that is very natural and something that we would all understand to something that is less known or unknown. And you know, comparing it to a spiritual thing. And Jesus, for the most part, whenever he taught, he used, like in Matthew chapter 5, you know, he would talk about, you know, things that would make sense to them, and he would illustrate a point to bring, a, bring across a point. And, but when we get to these parables, something unique happens. Something unique happens. Remember, the people, uh, nationally and even corporate, uh, you know, nationally and the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they rejected Christ. You remember the last time we were in chapter 12 that they had ascribed his miracles to, the, to Satan, basically. Remember. And in that, they, they were rejecting him. They, they weren't, he wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. And so they rejected him. And so now you're going to see a page turn. Something unique is going to happen. And even the disciples recognize it, and they asked him about it. We're going to look at that. Something different was happening, because when he taught before, a lot of times he would be bringing something out. But now he's going to do something really unique. And and, and he's going to do two things at once, which to me is amazing. And Jesus was a master storyteller. And so he has a way of revealing to some and concealing for others. Yes, in the same message, he can be communicating two different things. To a group of people that were believing, they would get it, they would understand, and there were others that didn't, they got the parable, but they really didn't understand the bigger picture. And it was all a question of their heart. And again, why did Jesus do this? Is it because he's mean and he doesn't care? No, it's because they, they got to the point where their hearts become hardened in unbelief. And Jesus doesn't mince words. He knows the right time when to throw out the seed, and he knows other times when not to. And when, or when to, um, and, and there's an accountability in that, isn't there? The more we know, the more we're accountable. And so we're going to look at this uh, passage today, and I'd like to read to you just the first uh, 17 verses. Let's look at it. So it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house by the sea, and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, and, uh, and, and, and as he sowed, excuse me, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. 
Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Notice what he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he who will have abundance... And he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But then Jesus says to his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that this is a unique passage? Because one thing that's true about the Lord is he's always trying to minister to people. And he wants to get across the message of the kingdom, certainly the message of the gospel, to as many who will hear. But there does come a time when a heart gets so hard and, and the hearing becomes, you know, you shut off the spigot. You know, do you know what I mean by that? We have selective hearing sometimes. Husbands? Or wives, you know this. <laughs> your husband will, you know, you'll, your, your wife will say something to you, and she's like, did you hear me? What? Yeah, it's selective. We have this ability to turn off what God wants to be speaking to us about, and that's a dangerous place to be. And when we get to that place... And God knows, and God always is working on the heart of man. But Israel, by this time, the people, his own people, certainly the people that he made, I mean, because God made everyone, and he made the whole world and everything that's in it, but he came to his own. He came to the Jewish people first, because Jesus was a Jew. And he came to them, fulfilling all of the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. And they would have, they should have embraced him, but instead they rejected him, thinking that everything he did was actually by the power of Satan. Think of what a slap in the face that is. And so they reject him. And there comes a point where God says, you know what, I, I love you, but I'm, I'm no longer going to waste, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine anymore. And, and, I, and I believe with Israel at that time, he did that. And that's why he spoke to them in parables. Because in that mixed multitude, including the disciples, the disciples were believers, but in that multitude of people, there were those who believed and there were those who didn't believe. They were there for different motives, had different purposes. And Jesus, as, as the master communicator, was able to speak and say something and the people who loved him, believed in him, they got it. And the people who didn't, they didn't. And Jesus, you'll notice as we go, we're going to take a couple of weeks going through this, chapter 13. You'll notice that, um, that, that Jesus only shared with his disciples the meaning of those things. He didn't expound upon it to everybody and even they were a little confused, but he explained it to them, and they got it. Their hearts were open, but the others, their hearts were closed. And I want to say something this morning as we read this, as we go through these different soils and talk about these kinds of things. Which soil are you? 
Which soil were you? And as I look back on this list that we're, that we're looking at, I, I find myself in my own history, I find myself in each one of these soils at one point. And I'm so glad that what God has done, he's, he's now doing, it's, it's, it's much, much deeper than it ever was. And I'm so glad because there were times where I just like, somebody told me the truth of the gospel, eh, whatever. Eh, whatever. I don't know how many times I rejected the message of the gospel. Jesus loves you, he died for you. Eh, whatever, if it works good for you. I got my own truth, right? Anybody have their own truth? <laughs> well, if you have your own truth, I can tell you right now, it's a lie. <laughs> because there's only one truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Amen? All right, let's go back and look at verse 1. So it says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Now, on the same day refers to this time that we saw of the events of chapter 12. Um, at the very least, I believe it's all most of chapter 12, but at least the last um, verses 22 through 45 where you know, Jesus is uh, speaking them uh, about the scribes and the Pharisees, and then his mother and his brothers come to him. Well, on this same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So where is this place? Capernaum is this area up in the northwestern side of, of, Jerusalem, or, uh, of Galilee, and it's right up here. It's one of the places we visit when we go to Israel. It's a really interesting and wonderful place. And so Jesus is there with Peter in his house, and um, uh, so this took place, we believe, in Capernaum, where, where Peter's house was, and Peter's house, again, another place we visit, uh, it looks something like this. Now, uh, it, it, the Byzantine, uh, there was a church, the Byzantine Martyrium Church built over the top of Peter's house, and so you can see some of that, but the foundation in the center, that part of it is Peter's, and Jesus and uh, lived with Peter and his wife. Yes, Peter was married, and so he stayed with them. Uh, while he, and, and just so you know, just opposite Peter's house uh, was the synagogue where many or some of his miracles took place, and so Jesus is there and uh, even though it says he sat by the sea, it's really speaking of Lake Gennesaret or Lake Ga the, sea of, the Sea of Galilee is really not a sea. It's Lake Gennesaret or Lake Chinnereth. Uh, it's called the Lake of Tiberias or Sea of Tiberias. But it's a freshwater lake. It's beautiful. I've swum in it or swam in it. I've crossed over it in a boat a couple of times. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. But notice in verse 2 that great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And what could be the reason that Jesus would get into a boat offshore? Well, number one, he's being thronged. He, there's so many people there, he needs some space, and having a little bit of space, and also getting out from the shore into a boat, you will notice that um, it creates, and guys, you know this if you've been out in a boat fishing, it creates a natural, it's like a natural amphitheater or amplifier. I remember being out in the Gulf of Mexico, and several miles out, and the water was like glass, and there, were a, there was a boat pretty far away from us. And they were carrying on a conversation. I could hear every word they were saying. Because the water creates this amplification. Not that Jesus needed it, but he used it. Because there were thousands of people there that he was speaking to. So he gets out on the boat, and he knows very well, because he created the laws of nature, did he not? So he created the laws of nature. This is what I'm going to do, and I can reach even more people by just taking advantage of something I already created. Right? And so he does it. And he spoke many things, notice to them, in parables, saying, Behold, a, a sower went out to sow. So verse 3 is the first time in the New Testament that you're going to see this word parable. And it means parabolo, to throw alongside. The idea is comparing two things, like I said before. Comparing or juxtaposing things that are known against things that are unknown. And so we're going to see seven different parables here in chapter 13. These have been known as the kingdom parables because um, when you get to uh, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus says something interesting. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven 
is like. And Jesus spoke the parable of the sower that I just read to you in the very beginning to the multitude and the disciples, but he privately, remember, only gave the disciples the interpretation. And Jesus also spoke uh, the the parables um, to the multitudes, but he didn't give the interpretation. In other words, the, the parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, he shared those things with the multitude, but he didn't give them the interpretation. But Jesus finally gets his disciples alone, and he gives them privately the understanding of what the wheat and the tares meant, the hidden treasure the pearl of great price, and the dragnet. And remember, they were meant to illustrate parables, but sometimes they were meant to conceal. To reveal or to conceal. And Jesus, in this time, did both at the same time. For those who had hearts, they would understand it. So prior to this time, uh, prior to this moment that we're looking at here, Jesus spoke in parable-like speech. Sometimes he would use metaphors to illustrate and reveal truth to his disciples. And a good one is when he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are... So he's using metaphors to describe something, to describe our way of being and how we ought to be. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? So he's using these kinds of things, these devices. And in uh, Matthew 7, he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you rise, it will be measured to you back, uh, back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank or the huge log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, when indeed you have this, this, this you know, a redwood forest tree sticking out of your head. So he's using a metaphor. He's using a, it's it's parable-like, but he's revealing truth. But now, due to the hardness of the hearts of the people and their rejection, the religious leaders rejecting him, even many of the people rejecting him, he spoke to them in parables, but in different ways. He would speak to them, this way for a reason. For those whose hearts were soft and believing, they would understand. And, and, and that makes sense to us because Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice that faith doesn't come by seeing. Most people think, well, you just show me a miracle and I believe. No, they saw a lot of miracles. They saw a lot of miracles and it didn't do anything to their spiritual life. It didn't do anything to their faith. But faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God. As you read to yourself in the morning when you open your Bible, as you read your devotions, as we are here and I'm reading to you and expounding these things, that's what's happening. It's encouraging our faith. And the word of God is different than any other book. You can read a novel and you can throw it away and and you got out of it everything you needed to. But the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Today it's going to speak to you out of one passage a certain way, and tomorrow it may speak to you something a little bit different. It's living like that. And depending on what season of life you're in, that same truth is going to hit you in a different way. Does that make sense? When you were young, it spoke to you about something, about lust or something. And then as you get older, it speaks to you, oh my goodness, It speaks to you differently. It's so multifaceted. See, that's the difference. It is truly the only book in the world like that. But he also spoke these things. For for those whose hearts were hardened and unbelieving, they wouldn't understand. And and Jesus did that. He did that. They had had crossed that line. They didn't want to hear anymore. And he wasn't going to make them more accountable because we're accountable for the things that we hear. But the Lord is always seeking to give understanding. We live in an age of grace, and we live in a wonderful time in history, but there is a time when he knows that it's no longer fruitful to speak. It shocks me when Jeremiah, when God is laying out his indictments in the book of Jeremiah against the Jews before they went into captivity. And there came a point where Jere- when Jeremiah was going to pray, and God says, don't pray for this people, Jeremiah. 
What? It's in Jeremiah chapter 7. I think it shows up again in chapter 14 as well. What, you don't want me to pray for the people? No. No, they've crossed the Rubicon. They've crossed the point of no return. They're going in. They're on their way right now. I have called Babylon, and they're coming. They don't know that they're being called by me, but I'm drawing them against my people to, 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 bring, uh, you know, to chasten them. Going to bring them. Don't pray for them. you got to be kidding me. No, there was a point. There was a point. And I believe this is where we're at. Jesus is getting closer and he's slowly pulling away from that, that idea of revealing to that multitude because he knew. See, Jesus knows the hearts of every person. I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. I, can, I may think that I have an idea. I may think that I have the gift of discernment. But you know the truth of the matter is I don't know you inside. I don't know what motivates you, what drives you. God does. And he can judge the motives of our hearts. I do not. I am not qualified. I'm not qualified. And he knows when I'm ready and he knows when I'm not. And when I'm ready, he is there. So that's the thing to be encouraged by. Because I rejected Christ all my, you know, for a good 24 years of my life. And there were moments where God knew there was a little bit of something, a little bit of a crack in the wall, and he got in there and says, hey, I'm here. What do you think? I love you. But you're walking in sin, my son. And you need to turn from your sin. I got such a great future for you. You don't have any you don't have any idea. Trust in me, believe in me, and not only will you have your life will be enriched and blessed now, but when you pass, you're going to be in glory with me forever. And I said, "Where do I sign up?" Get it in triplicate. I want the white paper, the the yellow paper and the pink paper. I'm going to press real hard on that pen and I'm going to sign up. Sign up to Christ. He's the only one who really cares about you. He's the only one who can secure you. He's the only one who can save you from eternal damnation. Yes, nobody likes to talk about hell, but hell is real. And people go there every single day. People die in America and they go straight to hell and some go to heaven. But there is two choices and you have to make that decision. These people were rejecting him, so he's got to speak to them in such a way where he can get through to the people whose hearts are soft and believing, and, he, and he's going to conceal some things from those who are hard and unbelieving. And Jesus, the, well, his disciples, they're going to pick up on this fact that there's something different here. So notice he gets into it. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow. So going forward now, he would speak differently. Um, and so there, there are four types of soil that we've read about. Uh, the one is by the wayside, the one on stony ground. Soil or seed that gets thrown among thorns and then on good soil. And as we go through this, think about your own heart, where you're at right now, maybe where you've been, or maybe even some people in your life. Because you can certainly, as you read these, as we read this parable of the sower, you're going to be thinking, wow, this sounds like Aunt, you know, Aunt Matilda. This sounds like Aunt Bob. I actually had an Aunt Bob. This sounds like them. As soon as I told them, they, they, immediately they were excited, and then they just, nothing. And then others, I'd share with them, and they'd be like, ah, whatever, if it works good for you, that's fine. And others listened, and they're walking with the Lord today. So notice Jesus said, he says, And as he sowed, as the sower sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Now we're going to learn later on in verse 36 through 43, uh, when the Lord explains this to his disciples privately, that the sower is either the Lord himself or those who share the gospel message. So that could be you and I. You and I are seed sowers. Because when we go out and share the word, that's what we are. And he says, the seed is the word of the kingdom. And that is that Christ is the Messiah, that he, that he promises them the kingdom of heaven if they will believe in him. And the birds who devour the seed is the devil. In the Bible, the mention of birds is often associated with demonic activity. Usually when you see birds, it's not in a good context, especially when they're lodging or nesting. And I have seen, and I've, uh, I have, and um, many of you have encountered people like this who had the seed by the wayside. 
You share with them the word of God. It just goes in one ear and out the other. Often you get this kind of uh, reply back to them. They'll say, oh, uh, no, I'm good. Can I share with you the, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, I'm good. Actually, you're a rotten scoundrel. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, may God give us the guts to share. I mean, you don't have to be nasty and say, no, you're a rotten. You don't have to do that. But you know, I understand what you're saying, but the Bible says this. That includes me, too. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So not one of us is good. We weren't born good, folks. (laughs) There's nothing good within man. Nothing good within man. And yet the higher critics and the higher education, oh, the people are essentially good. No, they're not. What planet have you, you know, what capsule did you come from? No, people are inherently evil. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we need the spirit of God to take over this old nature that I was born with, that it has hatred against God. And yes, it hated God. I didn't want anything to do with him, and neither did you, until you finally, God slipped through the crack. And somehow your heart was ready to hear it finally. Maybe your heart was broken. Maybe you had a girlfriend or a, a husband leave you or a girlfriend or boyfriend break up with you. You, got, you lost your job and your dog bit you and you know, your, your pickup truck you know, got stolen and stole your gun rack and everything. Maybe all that happened. Like, <laughs> and then you have this pity party and you cry out to the Lord. He, he's there and he ministers to you, right? That's a good thing. Or sometimes they'll say, well, if that works good for you, that's, that's you know, your truth. You know? Don't give up on people who fall by the wayside, whose seed, as you scatter it, it just goes by the wayside. Don't give up on those people. But understand, there's going to come a time, hopefully, and only God knows this, when their heart will be ready to hear it. And when you, the word of God, as you share it, as you throw that seed out, it's not going to return void. The Bible says that. His word will not return void. So, verse 5, so some fell on stony places. So we looked at the wayside, but some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. Now, in Israel and and that part of the world, often the bedrock is just inches below the surface. There may be only a few inches of soil, and then you hit limestone. It's like that. And any gardener knows that if you're going to uh, put seed on that soil, that kind of soil, it's not going to flourish. It will. It will spring up quickly, and there's no water underneath because it's just a little bit. It shoots up, and the sun hits it. It dies. It's a very quick thing. It's a flash in the pan. But when the sun, verse 6, was up, it was scorched because they had no root and it withered away. Because once the seed germinates, it, it does. It shoots out. And have you seen people like that? I have. Perhaps you have as well. They hear the gospel and immediately respond. They respond with joy and great excitement. And they're the loudest ones talking about Christ. And they're just on fire. And you're like, man, I wish I had some of that fire. What's up with them? And they're, they're like rock stars. All of a sudden, they're just on fire. And man, they're just really vocal. And then two weeks later... You find out that they're back doing their cocaine. They're back doing their heroin. They're back sleeping with their girlfriend again or their boyfriend. And they fall away. It was just a flash in the pan. They had this moment of euphoria. And these things happen, don't they? They experience troubles or they have some kind of rent problem. Usually that's the problem. I can't pay the rent. Or they have a health problem or an addiction problem. Or maybe they're persecuted by their family and friends. Oh, you're a holy roller now, are you? holier than thou. Is that who you've become? And the friends and the family start distancing themselves, right? And then finally, that person whose seed got put on stony ground, the persecutions come, the difficulties, the trials, done with this. Had enough of this. Yeah, I tried Jesus. Now I'm on to Buddha. Now I'm on to Hindu. Now I'm on to shamanism. There's something you've heard in the news lately. Now I'm on to shamanism. I tried Christ. Well, you didn't try him enough. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And don't just taste it, swallow it. 
<laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good and then swallow it and then totally get infected in such a wonderful way. Let him get a hold of your life. But that's what happens. They decide it's not worth it. They quickly give up before anything really began. It's not for me, they say. And people like that you need to be patient with and continue to encourage. But in verse 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And we know that thorns in the Bible are a consequence of sin. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam, uh, Adam, uh, then to Adam, God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. If in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Notice, but both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. That's part of the curse. And this seed gets that gets thrown by the the thorns, it gets choked out, and a wise gardener knows that thorns will choke or suffocate or drown out the good seed that's growing next to it. And this describes, unfortunately, many in the church, and not necessarily here, but in the church globally, in, in America, world, you know, worldwide even. It's the condition, the first condition so far that we've seen where it seems that they may really be a child of God and perhaps are born again. The other two soils that we looked at the one who fell by the wayside, that, that there was no faith involved. They just disrupted it. They dismissed it. The other one on the stony ground, there was really no depth, and they just kind of fell away. But this is the first one, and we'll see this next week when Jesus defines this even closer for us to the disciples as well. This is the first one where he says it's just going to make them unfruitful, which leads me to believe that this could be a real believer but just focusing more on the world and things of the world. They got their ticket stamped for glory. They got their fire insurance. But now their life is no longer being fruitful. And that describes many in the church today. They begin to grow in the world. The things in the world have a much greater hold on them. They like their money. There's nothing wrong with money. What does it tell us in Timothy? Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we should be content. Um, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and do many foolish and harmful lusts, notice, which drown men, which choke men, which, like those thorns, it chokes them, uh, drowned men in destruction and perdition. And here's the verse, for the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and notice, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That sounds like seed that's been thrown among the thorns. That's exactly what it is. And John in his epistle says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Don't you want to abide forever? I don't want to. I, there's nothing on this planet that I really care about, honestly. I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with everything, but not in my material goods. I could care less. Somebody comes up and says, well, I'll give you the whole world. They, Satan tried to do that with Jesus. You just bow down just once. And we'll get it on film just, just once. We want to post it on Instagram. I just want to see you do it once, Jesus. I want proof. All, this, all these kingdoms I'll give you. And there's, that's a whole other conversation. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Is there anything in this world that's more important than eternity with Christ? Think about it. Even if you did have the whole world, even if you were the wealthiest man in the world or woman, you can enjoy that wealth for 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years. Then you're done. It gets, it gets given to somebody else. And you're in hell for eternity. Or 
you can give your heart to Christ and spend an eternity with him where the very streets of heaven and glory are going to be paved with gold, so refined that it's going to be clear. Do you understand that? It's not going to be a big deal. You can have everything. It's going to be pleasures forevermore, but not unholy pleasures. It'll be holy pleasures. Big difference, right? Sitting down with a big gallon full of Haagen-Dazs watching television is an unholy thing, and I've done it. <laughs> but that's not the kind of pleasure I'm talking about. Being free from sin, think of that. Not even having a sinful thought. Being in glory and, and being in the presence of perfect beauty, perfect perfection. Jesus and all he is. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. Nothing can hold a candle to that. Nothing can touch it. Give, you can have all the world, but give me Jesus. Isn't that the hymn that we sing? You can have all the world, but give me that one thing. Give me Christ. Everything else is going to burn. The Bible says so. With fervent heat. Why are you hanging on to it? Why are you, you know, loving the world so much? Then you're like that person who's got the seed went on the, and, you know, among thorns and, and the, 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 the riches and those things. They got a hold of you. It's just like all these tentacles around you and you can't break free of it. Have you seen people like that? I've seen people like that. And it's horrible to watch. They've got, you know, sometimes the poorest people in the world are the happiest. The people who don't have anything. The people who have nothing. All they've got is Christ, and they got a little hut and a bed, and that's it. And they get their food day by day, and, and that's fine for them. And then you got other people who've got everything. They've got people working for them to maintain their boats and their yachts down in Nîmes and Nice on the French Riviera. They got people taking care of the snowmobiles up in you know Colorado and Denver up in the Rockies. They got people tuning those things up so when they decide to take a flight there, they can you know just hop on it and ride, you know got a whole fleet of people around me texting me. Everything's ready, Mr. Kellogg. Your bed is made. The mint is on the pillow as we speak. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because you're going to be fired if you don't. Some people have everything, and yet all it is is like seaweed wrapped all around them. They're, they're choked, and they're not happy. They're not happy. They don't have to work for anything anymore. They're, they're, they're the most unhappy people. Not all of them. There are some Christians who are very wealthy, and they're the happiest people. You know why? Because they're willing to give unto the Lord. When? they got to have great discernment. If you're wealthy and you don't have discernment, you're going to be in a poorhouse. <laughs> but to be wealthy and to know when the Lord wants you to do something, that is the thing, right? And they have the greatest life because they're, they're generous and they know where they're going. And somebody could take it all away tomorrow and they'd be like, that's fine. Big difference. But being choked by the thorns. And there are many people like that today. You may not have, you know, the Musk of Elon, Elon Musk, the wealth of Elon Musk. And pray for him that he might get saved too. Because he doesn't believe in Christ. Pray for him. Jesus later on would say these kinds of people, if, they, if, if their heart is like that, they, they, they may be saved, it seems, but they, they, they become unfruitful. And, um, and God's will is that we would bear much fruit. Isn't that what he told us in John's gospel? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Abide in me and I in you. You can't abide in me, you attached to the vine who is Christ, right? It's John chapter 15. But notice in verse 8 back in our text, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And this is the fourth soil, and this is the desire of God for all who come to them, come to him to bear much fruit. And notice that some bear more fruit than others, but nonetheless they are bearing fruit. Can you see that? And this is where we need to be careful as well because we tend to compare ourselves with others. Oh, well, she's really active in the church and I'm not so active. And then you start comparing yourselves and all of a sudden you get this critical heart. She's doing this, he's doing that. 
No, I'm going to do that just because I want to feel spiritual. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Hey, listen, whatever you do, do it as you're led by the Lord, even if that means sitting and doing nothing for a season. Be content with what God is going to do. Trust me, he has no problem getting through to you if you're open to it. He's not going to... You're not going to miss an opportunity of growth by you sitting and waiting. You sit and you wait until God moves you. And if you're willing, it's up to him. And he does a really good job. I can tell you that myself. I never wanted to be here. (laughs) I never wanted to be doing what I'm doing. But I'm loving what I'm doing now. I had no idea that I would love it. He's the one who did the work. I wasn't even looking. I felt like I was clueless in Seattle. You know, walking around blind and a, a rock hits me on the head. Oh, Lord, hello. Hey, I got a plan for your life. Well, what is it? Start walking and I'll show you. <laughs> Where do you want me to walk? Just start walking and I'll get... Didn't, isn't that what he did with Abraham? He didn't tell Abraham where to go. He just says, get moving. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Just go. Okay. <laughs> So he grabs his family, he's got this caravan, and he's moving. And the Lord taught him step by step, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Led him step by step, little by little. If God would have told him, Abraham, I'm going to bring you right over there, and this is what you're going to do, he would have said, okay, great, I'm just going to make a beeline for that. And he's like, well, that makes sense in the natural, but there's some things i got to do in you and others around you So we're going to have to do a little meandering because there's some lessons along the way to prepare you for that over there. And there's no way to do it except through the trials and the lessons that I'm going to show you along the way. See, if God would have told me what he was going to do in my life, even even right now, I would have circumvented a lot of stuff. I would have tried to get there a different way. And he's like, you're thinking too American. Just sit, just rest, and let me guide you. Let me take care of it. And he did. And he's doing the same thing with you right now. So be encouraged by that. So we need not to be careful. We got to be careful that when we talk about fruit being a hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold, whatever it is, that we don't compare ourselves to one another. Do you remember what happened after Jesus was resurrected? He was on the shore of the Galilee with his disciples, and remember. Uh, you know, Peter, this was right after Jesus had that interview with Peter, you know, about the fish and everything. And he's like, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know, I, I phileo you. But Peter, do you agape me? Do you really, really love me? It's the highest form of Greek love is the word agape. Do you really love me? Well, Lord, you know, I love you in a friendly kind of way. And then Jesus said, do you, do you phileo me, Peter? Do you love me as a friend? And it grieved Peter. He said, Lord, you know all things. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then right on the heels of that, Peter's looking at John. Then Peter, verse 20, turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, speaking of John, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, at the last supper. And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed, or, or um, I'm sorry, I, I, wrong emphasis. And he laid his breast on Jesus, uh, his head on Jesus' chest at supper and said, Lord, who is it who betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to, to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if he will that I remain till I come, what is that to you? Don't compare yourself with him. I got a different plan for you, Peter. Don't worry about what I'm going to do in John, when John's life. Stay in your lane. I've got a plan for you. It's different from his. See, we're always looking, comparing fruit. Oh, you got 100. I only got 60. God must love you better. That's not the truth. But see, that's the soil. When we're bearing fruit for him, when we're bearing fruit for Christ, that's the thing to hold on to. Bear fruit. When you're bearing fruit, it doesn't matter whether it's a hundredfold or 60 or 30 or even five. Don't get condemned by whatever it is. Just trust the Lord in the process, and you're accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in Christ if you've given your heart to him. We don't have to impress him. He knows what's in us already. 
I can't impress him. I can depress him. <laughs> He's like, oh my goodness, Rob. Your heart is really ugly, but I think it's really good, Lord. I think, no, you don't know yourself. I know you, trust me. But you know what, Rob? I love you in spite of your mess. Yes, you're a mess. I know, Lord. But I can use that mess. I can use it. And I love to use it. I love to use broken things. I love to use things that the world just throws away. Oh, it's broken? We'll just kick it out and buy a new one. It's too old. Kick it out and get a new one. Something young, something sparkly, and something big. And God's like, no, I I can take the broken things. I'll take those things that the world throws away, and I'm going to build them up, and I'm going to use them for my glory. And See, that's the way of the kingdom of God. The world doesn't understand that. They can't. It's spiritually discerned. Something the Spirit of God gives you discernment and understanding about. God loves to use you. And I don't know about you, but I am very comfortable with admitting to myself that I am a broken pot. Most of the time, I'm a broken pot. And I need him to come and put my pieces together again. I feel like that Humpty Dumpty who fell off the wall. He had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But guess who could? Christ. He comes and he puts me back together again. And he says, yeah, you got a lot of cracks, but guess what? I'm going to be glorified in your weakness. Isn't that the secret of Paul? He goes, I've been, I am, I, I, the Lord is being glorified in me through my weaknesses, not in my strengths, not in the things that I pound my chest. I'm good at this. I, you know, I've gone to this school and I've got this degree and I've got, you know, and <laughs> right. And we, we walk around with a pedigree and you must just hold up your degree. You know, I mean, you ever see those guys with the, with the, with the, they got this medallions. They, they carry all these things around with them all the time, wherever they go. Wow. Do you carry your, your, your parchment around with you? Yes. I went to Harvard and, uh, and, and Oxford for postgraduate school. Carrying them around with me. Look, look, look. God's like, I'm not going to be glorified in your strengths. If I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in Christ, what he has done, not in anything that I might do or could do. My strengths are nothing. In fact, they're my liability most of the time. When I think I'm strong, I'm actually pretty weak. But when I'm weak, he is strong. And that's, the, that's one of the beautiful things. And notice Jesus says to him, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. It seems that whenever the Lord used this phrase in the scripture, he is revealing a mystery to those whose hearts were prepared to receive it. And yet, it can still be a mystery to those whose hearts were hard and unbelieving. And Jesus knew those who were there and the condition of their hearts, and he does today. And see, this is why we need to continue to share We need to continue to share. Because we don't always know the preparation of the heart of another human being. So we have to be faithful to share. Throw the seed. Throw the seed out like a good sower. Throw it out. Let the Lord look on the rest of it. And don't be concerned about the results. Let God take care of the results. And Matthew, isn't that our, our, our commission? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Because if you're, if you're, if you're baptizing them, it, it precludes the idea that they've been saved that you've told them the gospel and they received Christ, now baptize them and tell them all that I have told you, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Yes, amen. That's what he says. But there's also a time, and we're not going to get through what I wanted to today. We're going to get through, we're going to stop here in verse 9 in just a few moments. But Jesus also knew that there was a time when not to throw the seed. 
That's why we need to be led by the Spirit. Matthew 7, verse 6 says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs. No, cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and they turn and they tear you in pieces. And Proverbs 9, verse 7, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Casting your pearls before swine, what does that really You will know when you talk to certain people whether what you're going to share with them is going to really... The Lord can give you that unction, if you will. He can give you that understanding that, you know what, there, there comes a time where you're like, okay, I'm wasting my time. All they're doing is mocking me. I'm trying to be serious and honest. I'm trying to love on them. And all they're doing is looking at me, you know, with this funny, you know, you know, they give you this look. What are you going to share with me today, holy man? Right? Don't bother. Maybe you should just say, you know what? When you're ready to talk, let's talk. But I know right now you're not willing to talk. It's not going to be fruitful. When somebody's angry, if somebody's really angry, that might not be the time to do it. Don't cast your pearls before swine, before mockers, those who all they want to do is mock you. There's a time when you can, and there's a time when you probably should just refrain because it could could get violent. (laughs) And sometimes you can tell when you come upon a person. If you ever do any witnessing down on Monroe Avenue, you encounter that really quickly. You encounter a lot of demon-possessed people, actually. They'll come right up to your face. Save me. And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> you need to be saved, but you know, you're not going to listen to anything I've got to say. Only the Spirit of God can break through all that. So Jesus knew. He knew the hearts of the people. But know this, and we'll end with this, because we're not going to get through the rest of it today. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. We're going to end with this verse because this is sweet. And I've quoted it earlier. And in context of us talking about these four different soils, I would encourage you, unless the Lord tells you not to, then Share the word of God. Share the word of God. Cast that seed as much as you can. Everywhere you go, every single day, just just do it. Just do it. And do it out of obedience. You don't know what's going to stick. You don't know what the birds are going to come in. That's not your job. Our job is just to simply proclaim the message. God, the Holy Spirit, takes care of the rest in the life of the person. And it might not, the, the seed that you sow today might not even germinate for three more years, 10 more years, 20 more years. It may happen next week. It could happen next month. You have no idea. But you can't worry about it. It's not your job. Stay in your lane share the word of God, right? And here's the promise. Notice what it says in Isaiah 55. For as, in verse 10, look at verse 10 of Isaiah. I would have you mark this verse, remember it, because you will come across this again, trust me. God says to Isaiah, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that I that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So God has a purpose in the rain and the snow, and all of it comes from the atmosphere and comes down into the ground, and it doesn't return there. And it, for the purpose of the soil and raising grain and stuff that we eat for food, he does that. But notice, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void. In other words, it shall not return to me empty, but it will, here's the promise, it will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. So therefore, the the, the pressure is off me. The pressure is off you. 
See, we get so hyped up. Oh, I, you know, I got to go out and start sowing seed. And the God's like, just relax. Yes, go out and share. And don't worry if you didn't quote the right verse. Or maybe you didn't quote it in its entirety. Maybe you did it in the wrong version of the Bible. No, I'm only kidding. You know, don't worry about that. The word of God, get it out there, and it will accomplish what, it, what God wants it to and what he purposed it to do. It's surprising to me how many times, and I know you probably have similar stories, how many times you have shared a scripture with somebody just out of the blue, something comes into your head. Don't discount that and think, well, that's just me. Well, it's probably the Holy Spirit. Spit it out. Share it. And then you find out that that verse, something in that verse just nailed them right to the wall. And you had no idea. That's what, uh, one of the joys that I get being up here. Because the word goes out, right? It goes out. I have no idea what it's doing. I know it's doing great things in different ways, in different people, people who are going to hear this on their radio later or seeing it online, whatever. Some, it, it, it hits so many people in different ways. It's like a shotgun. It's like a holy shotgun. The pattern goes out. And it's hitting everybody in different ways. And I have no clue what it's doing. I know it's doing something because you get letters or you hear somebody tell you. You know, you said this, and I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. Yeah, and I broke down and cried, and I, gave my, I pulled off alongside the road, and I got out and stood in traffic, and I prayed out to God, and semis were going, you know. You know, that happens. But the word of God will not, it will not, it cannot return void because it's holy, it's living, it's powerful. Do you believe in the word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Read it every single day. Get into a Bible reading program and then read through, even if you're not getting a lot out of it, and then go back and study a little portion of it. Spend some time with it. But get through it. Get it into your heart and your head because you never know when you're going to need to pull out that revolver or that shotgun. And Sorry to be so graphic. I grew up in a law enforcement household, so... That, that's just the way I am, so take it or leave it. But see the idea? Spread that seed. <laughs> Spread it, and then let God worry about the details. Because that seed is going to land on all those soils. Some of it's going to land on the wayside. Some gonna, it's going to land on stony ground. Some is going to land in the thorns where it's going to choke out. But some of it's going to land right in the sweet spot. And it's going to Get a hold of a life. And I tell you, there's nothing more rewarding in the world than to be sharing with somebody and they get it. Yes. And they surpass you. Hallelujah. Let me be a stepping stone so that you can climb up higher. And that's the way we need to be with our kids. Don't worry about them getting more spiritually mature than you. May it be so. May it be so. Share with your kids. Tell them the truth. And pray to God that they would surpass you in their righteousness. Be willing to be the, the doormat that they, they can walk on to climb up higher with Christ. I, I don't have a problem with that. I hope my daughter uses me as a welcome mat. Climb up and climb higher. If I'm not willing to climb higher, then I, I know I'm going to glory, but if I'm not being as useful as I could be, then you climb on top of me and jump higher. Go, go. That's exciting. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we acknowledge, Lord, um, I acknowledge, Lord, how many times, Lord, those soils were, were, were just like me. Lord, how many times I rejected the message when it was told me, and one ear and out the other, Lord. And Lord, there have been times where I've allowed the cares of this life and persecution to choke out the word. And I've uh, even lived uh, at a point where uh, it was just, I had a moment, a thrush of excitement and then nothing. But God, you have come full circle and you've planted that seed deep in my heart and in my brothers and sisters' hearts. And I pray for each one of them, Lord, that you would have your full reign in their life. Lord, that... Everything that we hear, everything that we read, Lord, would take root and deep into us. 
God, that it would accomplish all that you have. And Lord, help us to be mindful of those around us too, Father. Family and friends and co-workers, acquaintances. Lord, people that we love, people that we know. Lord, help us not to be discouraged when we see the seed being thrown by the wayside in their life or seeing it being thrown on the, in the stony ground. Lord, help us to never give up and always to be careful, to be discerning, to be loving, regardless of where that soil, that seed goes. So we thank you for this day, Lord. I pray that you'd encourage each one of us, strengthen our faith, Lord, and help us. Help us to be vocal again about our faith in you and to do it in a way that's pleasing to you, to do it in a right way, not to be annoying to people, but to really love them. And Lord, I know that real love is people recognize when our heart is filled with love for them. And they also know when we're just a bunch of phonies, just trying to do something to somehow prove something to ourselves or to you. So Lord, have your way. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. Heal their bodies. Heal their hearts and minds and all the wounds that are physical and even the wounds that are non-physical that nobody can see. Would you heal those things today? In Jesus' name, amen.